0: We've just spent the last 12 weeks on the book of Joshua in a series entitled Choose to Stand. Today we begin a brand new series. It's entitled Invisible. Invisible, a series on spiritual warfare. If anyone doubts we are at war, just read the news. Watch news reports, different channels telling the same news from a different worldview or value. It appears to be political wars, wars of ideas, culture wars, value wars, wars over traditional marriage, abortion, women's rights, sexuality, socialism versus capitalism, immigration, gun rights, and I can go on and on. And even though this warfare works its way out in the realm of ideas, politics, values, and rights, the real battle is invisible. It's invisible. The invisible war, a spiritual, a spiritual war. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Invisible. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a lion looking for someone to devour you there is a war there is definitely a war and if we have an opponent who's the devil or Satan we know that God is all-powerful God is sovereign but Satan has an obvious influence and powerful presence in our world what does God allow Satan to do And what are the indications of his activity or or of spiritual attack? In other words, how do we know it's the devil who's responsible? And what are our weapons of warfare? What do we have in our arsenal to fight in the heavenly realm? Some people deny that Satan has any power, or they try to minimize his role in history and the affairs of people. And the Bible teaches us to worship God, but be aware of Satan. The next six sermons in these, this series are going to be on this very relevant and important topic. Now, I know we're starting into summer, so I want to encourage you, if you are going to be absent any of the next Sundays, missing any of these, I'm going to challenge you to listen to the sermon online. And, uh, and if you're listening online today, I would challenge you not only to listen online, but you can actually email the church office for, this, for the notes. Uh, office at ecwesleyan.net, office at ecwesleyan.net. You can order, just call in or email, and we will send you the notes. And for all of you here today, um, the notes on the message with all some other other things, if you missed any of the blanks to be filled in, are going to be available at the usher's stand on your way out of the service. And every Sunday on this series, you can get the notes on the way out if you need. So you can have those. It's very important. It's invisible. It's it's spiritual warfare. And today we're going to talk about be aware, not alarmed. Be aware, not alarmed. We're going to look at several accounts of Scripture and we'll talk about demonic or satanic activity and we'll discover what can we learn today and how can we be aware. Don't be alarmed, just be aware. That's That's the statement today. Number one, I want us to look at Roman numeral one. What does God allow Satan to do? What does God allow Satan to do? The first one is temptation. Temptation. Tempt means to test or put to the test. We oftentimes think, think of temptation as subtle or not so subtle manipulation to try to get us to do something bad. Okay? It's, it's to try to get us to do something bad or evil. And more to the point, doing bad is giving up the authority of God for the authority of Satan. Very simply, giving up the authority of God for the authority of Satan. In other words, lining up with God and his authority or lining up with Satan and his wishes or authority. Now we'll talk more about that later. Temptation. We find, first of all, that Satan tempted Adam and Eve. Start at the very beginning. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Temptation is the very first instance of Satan tempting. And it was Adam and Eve. It was enticement. It was trying to get Eve to act against an explicit command of God, lined up with God or lined up with Satan. Temptation. Secondly, Satan also tempted Jesus. He's tempted Jesus. In Luke 4, 1 to 2, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. So Satan tempted Adam and Eve. Satan tempted Jesus. He also tempts people like you and me. He tempts people, number three. First Thessalonians 3:5 says, "For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I was sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless. Temptation to people. First Corinthians 10:13 says, "No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear." But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. What does that say? It's basically acknowledging that that we are going to be tempted. People will be tempted. Now we can also, number four, we can be tempted by our own nature oh man, how are we going to win this? Tempted by our own nature. James one thirteen to 14 says, when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So inside each of us are the seeds of our own d- destruction. We can be tempted by our own evil nature, the the nature that we have. We have the flesh and we have all these things that are around us. It's it's something we wrestle with. So Satan uses our own evil desires. He'll drag us and entice us. So Satan is allowed to tempt. And I say allowed because God is sovereign and all-powerful, but he has granted certain parameters to Satan. He's given him certain boundaries. Why? I you know, I don't know if we can ever answer that. Why why did God create all this and create knowing that, that we were going to sin and Satan was going to tempt us? all? We can't answer that. We'll gain further insight in the coming weeks, I hope. So there's a battle in the heavenlies. Satan's powers are limited, and God's powers are unlimited. We need to believe that. Temptation is common to all of us, and As an indication of spiritual attack, spiritual warfare, we will deal with temptation every day of our lives. We just deal with temptation. It's going to be there. Temptation. What does God allow Satan to do? Temptation. Tempt us. Secondly, he allows us, letter B, accusation. He allows him to accuse us Accusation. Revelation 12 10 says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and power of the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. So how does Satan accuse, how does he accuse us? He says before God, Mark is guilty. He's never going to be forgiven. He's weak. He's incompetent. He'll make these accusations. He'll throw stuff up in your face that happened years ago and say, you just aren't good enough. God's not going to accept you. You'll never win this victory. You'll never make it to heaven. They're accusations that he throws at us all the time. Guilt, accusations, feelings of hopelessness. They don't come out of thin air. These come from the accuser of the brethren, the accuser of believers. Feelings of, of worthlessness, despair, and they're all lies. Lies are at the root of accusation. Jesus called Satan the, uh, a liar and the father of all lies. So all lies begin with Satan. Now, I don't know how many of you remember the first Iraq war back a few years ago. It was Operation Iraqi Freedom. There was, there was a guy named Muhammad al-Sahaf. He was Iraq's Minister of Information, and daily al-Sahaf tried to refute clear evidence that Iraq was losing the war. On April 6th, after the coalition forces seized Baghdad's Saddam Airport, and they renamed it Baghdad International Airport, they started flying planes in and ventured into Baghdad itself. And the Miami Herald quoted al-Sadaf saying, we butchered the forces present at the airport. On April 7th, after they penetrated central Baghdad and stormed Saddam's Republican Palace, the Washington Post quoted the same guy as saying, There is no presence of the American columns in the city of Baghdad at all. We besieged them, we killed most of them. Now, because of his, his uh, propaganda, he, he, they, he was referred to in the media as Baghdad Bob. Now, you probably remember that more than al Saddam. Baghdad Bob, his efforts were to explain away coalition force victories as illusions. And, and it was comical in some ways because it was a lie. He would just throw these things out and say it didn't happen. And so he was throwing out propaganda, throwing out lies and trying to deceive. And the truth obviously was far different. In the same way, even though Satan is already defeated because Jesus died at the, on the cross, he continues to hurl out lies and insults and condemnation at the people of God. Just like Baghdad Bob threw these things out that were not true, trying to convince. Satan will throw those things out, lies to get us to convince, making accusations. He will use lies and misinformation to accuse us. Of course, how do we counter lies? What's the best counter to a lie? Truth. Truth. So that's what's important, the word of God, Truth. So what else does God allow Satan to do? He allows a physical attacks, physical attacks. In fact, when we look at uh, some passages in, in the scripture, in Job in particular, in Job 1, starting with verse eight, says, "Then the Lord said to Satan, "Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil." Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have so blessed the work of his hands that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And later on, he allows Satan to afflict him physically. God allowed Job to be attacked in the physical realm by removing his hedge of protection. Now, there was a contest going on that, that Job was unaware of. But Satan challenged God and said, He worships you and he follows you because you've blessed him and everything. Give him a hard time and he will curse you and die. Of course, we know the, the history of that didn't happen. But Satan was allowed to afflict him physically. Physically. Then we find the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 7, 12, 7 to 9 says, Paul writes, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, God had lifted him up to see these incredible things in heaven. And he says, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. God allowed, and Satan caused the physical torment. Now, there was a reason God allowed this physical torment, and we don't always know why. Paul didn't know why. Job didn't know why. Sometimes we don't know why, but Satan can afflict people physically. Physically. We don't always know why. If we're under attack physically and God refuses deliverance or healing, he, he may have a reason for that. Number three, they're the sons of Sceva. Sons of Sceva. This is one of my favorite passages in Acts. Acts 19. Acts 19 says, Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits and tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who are demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And it says, seven sons of Sceva, the Jewish chief priests, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them. Okay, they're going around saying, in the name of Jesus, cast this out. They're trying to do exorcisms. The evil spirit answered them and says, Jesus, I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? Who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Wow. Wow. Here the sons of Sceva were attacked by an evil spirit through the man who indwelt by him. Now we'll talk more about that passage in a little bit but there were physical attacks or sickness and pain and they may be okay not necessarily but they may be indicators of satan's attacks it also may just be the flu because you overdid and got run down and sick okay the, you have to be careful you don't blame the devil for everything you get i got a cold it's the devil no maybe you just need more rest vitamin c whatever it is okay be aware where to be aware ask for discernment not alarmed What else does God allow Satan to do? He can, letter D, he can delay answers to prayer. Delay answers to prayer. How do we know that? We pray and we pray no answer comes. It may be spiritual warfare, or it could be angelic beings delaying your answer. How do I know that? The precedent in Scripture in Daniel 10. In Daniel 10, 12 to 14. Daniel had been given a vision, and he said, He asked God, he prayed to God and said, give me the interpretation. I need to know what the meaning of this vision is. And it says, then he continued, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future, for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So Daniel had been given a vision by God, and he had prayed asking God to bring him understanding of the vision. And Daniel's prayer was heard immediately by God, but an angelic being delayed the answer for 21 days until the angel Michael intervened. Weird, huh? Strange. These are things that we look at scripture, these are precedents that we say, okay, maybe that's it. Have you ever prayed for something so long and know it's God's will and kept praying for a long time and it just didn't seem to be answered? Just didn't seem to be answered. We had had an incident and and this this is probably one of the more dramatic types of answers to prayer. I remember um, uh, Judy's older brother, was not following the Lord. Was not a believer, and for years we prayed for him. And I, I remember we'd pray as a family, and our daughters who are here this morning would pray for Uncle Carl, praying for Uncle Carl that he'd come to see to see Jesus, to get saved. And and uh, they were they were in a Christian school, and their teacher every morning would say, "Are there any prayer requests?" And 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 this one instance, Bray Bray raised her hand and said, "I want to pray for Uncle Carl. He needs to be saved." Next day, pray for Uncle Carl, and then. Finally, after a few days of that, um, the teacher said, uh, we prayed for Uncle Carl yesterday. She said, well, he's not saved yet. <laughs> well, you know, with that we prayed for over 20 years. And Uncle Carl got cancer. And Judy had a chance to lead him to Jesus Christ in a very trying time in his life. And he's in heaven today. I mean, he's probably listening right now. It's amazing. But that was a long time. And I can tell you for sure that our kids, from the time they were two or three, four years old, started to pray for Uncle Carl. Sometimes it's delayed for other reasons. Maybe it's because the person's not ready, but it may be that your answer is delayed because the enemy is fighting against it. It happens. Satan loves to keep our prayer answer from reaching us. And if we could only see the spiritual realm with the battles raging, we'd be just shocked, I think. Invisible. So what does God allow Satan to do? Delay answers to prayer. Letter E, Satan can possess people or animals. He can possess people or animals. Probably the most well-known passage about this. You know, Jesus came and he discovered people that were demon-possessed. The one in Luke 8 talks about Them sailing to the Gerasenes across from the lake of the Galilee when Jesus stepped ashore he was met by a demon possessed man from the town for a long time this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house but lived in the tombs when he saw Jesus he cried out and fell at his feet shouting at the top of his voice what do you want with me Jesus son of the most high God I beg you don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. Demons begged Jesus to let them go into them. He gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs. The herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Wow. Weird. You wonder why you get these weird stories in the Bible. And you go, this, that is really strange. That's what happened. This man was demon-possessed. Satan can possess or control human beings. We'll talk more about that. So let's look at Roman numeral 2. What are some indications of satanic activity? What are some indications of satanic activity? First of all, there are obvious signs. These are easier to see, obvious signs. And the first one we just read about is a person demonized. A person demonized. Demonized meaning being under some degree of control by a demon or the devil. And this person that we, this man we looked at in Luke 8, the man was totally controlled or possessed. The man had literally no will of his own. Now that is extreme, and that is real. It's more obvious sometimes overseas in third world countries than here in America, but demon possession, total control is real. But more common are degrees of being demonized. And this this is where it gets really practical. Degrees, degrees of influence or control. And it may be a consistent sin. It may be an addiction like pornography, alcohol, drugs, or sexual addiction. We can give the devil a foothold to influence us. We can give the devil a place to influence us. Ephesians 4.22 says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its evil desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true holiness, righteousness, and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Then this is where he says it. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not give the devil a foothold. How many of you here have gone rock climbing? Rock climbing? Okay. Anybody? Okay, awesome. Gone rock climbing. Good. Rock climbing. If you've ever done rock climbing, you know what a foothold is. It's a small place of leverage. It's a small place of leverage. You can't stop there and you can't camp there. Okay? It's just a small place of leverage because you use a foothold to move up or move down. And in this passage of scripture in James, bitterness or the refusal to forgive is an example of a foothold. It's an example of a foothold. Through bitterness or unforgiveness, we can give the devil a place of influence or a foothold. A place of influence in our life. Some people call these strongholds. People, by their own free will, can allow satanic influence in their life and allow themselves to be influenced by Satan, by allowing a foothold. Now, can a Christian be demon-possessed? That, really, that's the wrong question. Christians have the Holy Spirit of the living God dwelling inside of them. Can they be possessed or controlled by the devil? No. I don't believe they can. I do not believe in the trichotomy of human beings. Somebody, somebody says it's body, soul, and spirit, The spirit can be possessed, but not the soul and body. But we are one entity, described in different ways, body, soul, and spirit. One unit. You can't divide us into body, soul, and spirit. The Bible doesn't make such a distinction. But that said, Christians can be demonized in being influenced if we allow it. We can't be possessed and totally controlled, but we can be influenced by footholds, strongholds. So obvious signs of demonic activity. A person demonized or, number two, there's overt evil. It's pretty easy to see when you look at Adolf Hitler and Lenin and Stalin and Idi Amin and ISIS and people who are practicing torture, murder, and rape. It's pretty easy to see they're demonized or they're practicing awful things. Behavior is so evil, it is obviously of Satan. No question about it like the mother who was told to drown her children or told to drive off the cliff into the ocean with her car full of children. Obvious signs of spiritual darkness. That's out there. Those things are not as difficult to see. Then there's satanic worship. Number three, the Church of Satan was founded officially by Anton LaVey here in America. And they practice animal sacrifices, satanic rituals, and obvious signs of satanic activity. Then there are number four, there are occult practices, witchcraft. And some people divide witchcraft into two two categories. There's white witchcraft and black witchcraft. I don't know if you've ever heard that. White witchcraft is using witchcraft for good. Black witchcraft is using witchcraft for evil. When I was in college, I was a youth pastor in my father's church. We lived across the street. In Grand Forks, North Dakota, and a man came into our church uh, one night during a women's meeting. And the leader of the women's ministry called me on the phone and said, uh, uh, we, we got this, this guy over here who's acting kind of strange. And so he, she said, would you, would you kind of come over to deal with this? So I went over and I, I met the man. He was acting a little strange. And I sensed some weirdness. So I asked him, I said, have you, have you ever been into witchcraft? And he replied, I am a white witch. And immediately when he said that, he went into a trance. I'm not making this up. He went into a trance. It was almost as if somebody had taken control of this man's being. I called my dad. My dad was the pastor of the church. I said, Dad, I need help. <laughs> I need you to get over here right away. He was, he was at a meeting. He came and uh, we basically dealt with it biblically. I, I let my dad take the lead. He had dealt with it as a missionary in Japan. He had dealt with demon, demonized people. He had done all that stuff. And basically, I was able to assist my father in, in an exorcism that night. It was, it was an amazing experience. Long story. I won't tell you what happened after that. But basically, we were able to, to see that man delivered. But this guy was a witch, a white witch. We need to be very, very careful of witchcraft and be very aware. Not alarmed, be aware of what's going on around us. Be careful of books, movies, video games, TV shows that promote witchcraft. And I don't care if it's, if it's Harry Potter or cartoons. If you watched this, the, the, the T, popular TV show back in the 70s called Bewitched, it was the forerunner of the modern acceptance of witchcraft. Shows that normalize witchcraft. It's like uh, the bad boyfriend tormented by his girlfriend because he's flirting with another woman and using voodoo. It's not funny. It's not funny. It's put into all kinds of sitcoms and movies and all kinds of things. Witchcraft, anything dealing with that, it's real. And it's not funny. Seances, attempting to communicate with the dead, which is forbidden by scripture. Ouija boards tarot card reading, palm reading, fortune telling, horoscopes, voodoo, these are all occult practices forbidden and warned about in the Bible. And if you've ever been involved in any of these practices, any of those, take special care to rid yourself of those footholds, those places of demonic influence. And I would encourage you, if you've had any background in any of those things, that you consult with our prayer team or board members, somebody, and and seek prayer for total deliverance because they can still hold a stronghold in your life if you're not careful. Those are footholds, open footholds for Satan to attack you spiritually and physically. It's also something, and a lot of people aren't aware of this, and I I've done a lot of research, done a lot of study about it, having to do with the Masonic Lodge. You go deep into it, you read the book, you go in to find out what's going on. If anybody's involved in the Masonic Lodge, you're dealing with demonic spiritual warfare. Just so you know, many people don't know that. It's a huge issue in America today. That's why in this church, Wesleyan Church, you cannot belong to the Masons and be a member of this church because they don't don't allow secret societies. these are all overtly evil, signs of the work of Satan all around us, indicators of spiritual attack. And by the way, if you have had a background of previous family members or relatives involved in the Masonic Lodge, you may need to have deliverance as well. Just it, just, just so you know. These are signs and obvious issues in spiritual warfare. Now, there are some subtle signs of spiritual attack, subtle signs. Some of these are really easy to see. You know about it. But then there are some subtle signs. This is where we need to be aware, not alarmed. be aware. Subtle signs. These are subjective and evaluative. Now, we cannot, nor do we want to blame the devil for everything. We sometimes we give the devil too much credit. We don't want to give him too much credit. You don't give him too much attention. We worship God, not the devil. If you end up concentrating so much on evil and spiritual warfare, then you're not worshiping God or Jesus. We worship Jesus. Be aware, be aware. Number one, agitation, agitation. Sensing a, a conflict of spirits. There have been times I've looked in the eyes of a person and discerned a spiritual conflict. It's like there's some, there's some agitation, there's some kind of restless, there's something here. I don't know what it is, but something's, something's wrong. Agitation. Number two, anger or rage. And we're, we're talking here about uncontrolled or irrational anger where there's just no rational reason for it. And whether it's rage or anger in you or in someone else, it can be an indicator of spiritual warfare, enemy. Fear. We're talking about extreme fear. Terror for no obvious reason. Your spirit, the Holy Spirit in you, may sense something, and you sense chills or cold or something's going on. And there's an attack. I shared this once before about our first six months in Lakewood. We were pastoring a church in Lakewood, Tacoma, and there was just a ton of all kinds of occultic activity going on there. And every Saturday night before I was to, we were to do ministry and preach on Sunday morning. Every Saturday night between three and four, I was awakened by this sense of evil, this chilled, uh, demonic presence. And, and I thought that, you know, the first, first couple Saturdays, I thought this is weird, weird. And it became a pattern. Brittany started experiencing severe ear pain. There, were some, there was just some weird stuff going on. Saturday night, only Saturday night. And i get up and I'd pray and i walk around and, and declare victory, and plead the blood of Jesus Christ. We do that. I did that for six months every Saturday. Night. The last Saturday night happened. It was like there was this, this evil presence around the house, like multiplied a thousand times, like I expected something to come crashing in at any moment. And an hour and a half later, it took me, I was sweating, I was praying, I was kneeling, I was pleading the blood, declaring Jesus' victory. And then it Dissipated. Sensing that kind of evil, that's real. And of course, the, the thing that I said to Judy that morning, because we had not had anybody come to Christ yet, I said to Judy, someone is going to get saved today. At the end of our second service, Rose Montez, the wife of an airman, came forward to receive Jesus Christ, one of the first of many that started coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It was real, and you sent, I didn't see anything. I sensed this chill and this evil that was happening around us. Those are not obvious signs, but when, you know, and you, I talked to people that said, I woke up in the middle of my night, and, and I felt like there was a demon at the foot of my bed trying to come at me. That, that stuff's real. Just, you need to plead the blood of Jesus. Be aware, don't be alarmed, be aware. Not to be confused. Spiritual warfare with mental illness. Sometimes people confuse mental illness with spiritual warfare. But I believe there's more overlap than we're willing to admit. Because we're physical, mental, and spiritual beings. Being careful with that. Maybe it's, it's doubts. Another indicator. Doubts. Severe doubts. Standing in opposition to, to, to faith. These are subtle signs. We just have doubt. We just cannot believe somehow. Maybe it's. Maybe it's a a heaviness or sense of oppression or darkness. Heaviness or darkness. The first time I sensed this was when I was about four years old. We were living in Sakata, Japan, and we lived right next door to a Buddhist temple shrine. And every New Year's Day, every New Year's Day, they held a big celebration with marching around with drums and chanting and gongs and burning incense. And they'd march around and they'd do this thing all night. And it was there was this sense when they started that, there was a sense of oppression. that just surrounded the whole region. And I said, oh, you know, so it was like at an early age, I began to sense this evil oppression when it showed up. It was indescribable, it was real, it was oppressive. Made me very sensitive to that. Then there are some other, other subtle signs. Maybe it's severe temptation. Severe temptation. Now there's normal temptation. And, and I don't know how to define normal, whatever, normal temptation. But there is severe temptation. It can be sexual in nature. It could be suicidal thoughts. It could be standing on a high bridge or building and something says, jump off, jump off, jump off. Take your life. Severe temptation. Could be an irrational urge, a sudden urge or temptation to strike out at someone in anger. And it's, it's irrational. It's, you say, where did that come from? Those, those are real. Those are real things that happen to us. Out of norm temptation. Out of norm. Direct spiritual attacks. Then there's number seven, rebelliousness, rebelliousness. First Samuel fifteen twenty-two to 23 says, But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and an arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Why, why is rebelliousness so harmful? Why is rebelliousness so harmful? Because it fights against God and goes for Satan. It's against God and it's for Satan. It's compared to the sin of divination or witchcraft or occult practices. And there, there are only two powers in this world. There's God and there's Satan. We're either with him or against him. There's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. Rebelliousness. Lines us up with the enemy. So what are our weapons of warfare? We're gonna, we'll take some more time next week as well. But weapons of warfare. 1 Peter 5, 8, we read when we came in. It's be, be self-controlled and alert, your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are ongoing, undergoing the same kind of sufferings. How do we resist? How do, how do we stand firm? How do we do battle? We'll be looking at more of these as we go along, but we want to look at a few of them this morning. What do we use to fight? You say, this happened to me. I experienced this. This is my situation. What do I do about it? The first weapon is letter A, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. It's interesting. In Acts 16. 16 to 18. The Apostle Paul was out on a mission journey and said, once When we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept doing this for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. The name of Jesus Christ. Now, the name of Jesus is not a formula. Some of us say, if I just use the name Jesus, it's not a formula. We saw in Acts 19 earlier, the sons of Sceva tried to use the name of Jesus, and to them it was a formula. Name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, do this. The name of Jesus is not a formula. It's an established relationship of authority. Let me repeat that. The name of Jesus is not a formula. It's an established relationship of authority. Our authority was lost when we sinned. Our authority was reestablished when Jesus died, was buried, was resurrected, and ascended into heaven. Jesus gave us that authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, make disciples. He said, you have that authority. On the basis of our relationship to Jesus, under his lordship, we operate under his authority in the kingdom. We are granted authority, and we use his authority as his representative by declaring and saying, in the name of Jesus. Now, let me, let me explain. Okay? When I conduct a wedding, I have do a lot of weddings in my day. When I conduct a wedding, I say, by the authority vested in me as a minister of the gospel of the state of Wisconsin, I now pronounce you husband and wife. That pronouncement, I now pronounce you husband and wife, makes them husband and wife, along with the marriage license and all that other stuff. Okay? My pronouncement, I say, I now pronounce you husband and wife. That's what makes them husband and wife. Now, anybody kind of run around and say, I pronounce you husband and wife, I pronounce you husband and wife, I pronounce you husband and wife. It doesn't make them husband and wife because they don't have the authority to do that. They're not ordained and licensed in the state of Wisconsin or whatever to do that. It's not the words that make them husband and wife. It's the fact that I'm under the authority of the state of Wisconsin. As an ordained minister, I pronounce and have the authority to pronounce them husband and wife. In the same way, people could run around and say, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, and be powerless to affect change unless they are under the authority of Jesus. They have to be under the authority of Jesus. We have to be under his authority in his kingdom, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Then when we use in the name of Jesus, we're speaking as Jesus would under his authority, in his name, and we have authority. That's the only way we do. it. It's not a formula. It's a, an establishment of relationship. It's a submission operating under, the, under him in the kingdom of God. And when we're that way, you can use the name of Jesus with authority and be effective. The second weapon is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. Revelation 12, 10 to 11 says, Now... Have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame him by two things. Number one, the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The blood of the Lamb, word of their testimony. Over, overcoming Satan by the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? It means because of the shedding of, of the blood, Jesus' death, there's forgiveness of sins. But the blood is not a formula, it states a legal reality. Let me say that again. It's not a formula, it states a legal reality. Why? Because your sins are paid for. The power of sin over you is broken. I am legally free because of the blood. Your sins were paid for, and when you state, it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ, it means you are legally free. Satan has no claim on you, no power, and he can try to accuse you, and you can say, legally I'm free, you can't do anything. There's nothing to accuse me of, I'm forgiven, I'm washed clean, It says, if I'm perfect. The death of Jesus, the blood of Jesus has set me free, and my weapon is to declare the blood and live in its reality, that I will overcome. I'm legally free. When The word justified means just as if I've never sinned. Justified. It's a legal term that declares you not guilty. Not guilty. So the accuser can come and throw that stuff at you all you want and say, it's the blood of Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus. Now the second one is our testimony. Our testimony. We had four great testimonies at the Out at Owen Park yesterday, four testimonies that declared what Jesus had done to them. Our testimony says, I've been transformed, my life has been changed. Take that, Satan. I'm a new creation, I've been born again, the old is gone, the new has come. And when we declare it and we declare our testimony, that sets us free. It's a verbal declaration of freedom, of reality. Declare it. So we have the name of Jesus and we have the word of our testimony. You can use those. Use those. Say, I'm legally free. I've been changed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Letter D, the word of God. The word of God. Luke 4, 4, 8, and 12. This is where where Jesus was tempted. Jesus countered the direct temptation of Satan by quoting scripture. He said, it is written. Twice it says, it is once. The word of God. If Jesus used scripture, man, I'll, I'll use it. So we get tempted. What, what, how do we counter him? Quote scripture. You can quote scripture. There are a lot of things in scripture you can quote. That's why it's great to memorize scripture because you may get tempted and you don't have a Bible on you, okay? You may need to quote scripture. Letter E, prayer. And we're going to talk a lot more about prayer later on in this series. And then there's fasting, Fasting, letter F. In Daniel 10, when Daniel's answer to prayer was delayed, he prayed and fasted. He fasted. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk more about fasting as well. And then letter G, praise. This is one of the, one of the things that we talk about occasionally here, because when we come together, we praise God. Um, in, Dan, in, uh, in Second Chronicles 20, the nation of Israel was surrounded by enemies. And, and basically, they didn't know what to do. And Jehoshaphat, who was the king at that time, said, we've got to go out and do something. So in, in 17 to 23, says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions and stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them. And what he did, his strategy, of course, to win against a physical enemy that was incited by the s- satanic enemy that was trying to destroy Israel. It said, when we get to uh, verse 21, it said, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So he took the worship team and sent him out in front of everybody. It's not something we'd typically think of, but he did. He took the worship team, right? Worship team. It was a worship team. And it said, as they began to sing in praise, the Lord set ambushes against the man of Ammon and Moab, and they were defeated. Wow. Praise. Praise. Corporate and personal praise. When we come together, I know we think this is just a song service some days. It's not a song. It, It is. We're singing songs. If you'll notice the lyrical content, the lyrics, the songs are selected very carefully to praise and sing praise directly to God, to Jesus, about his greatness and works. Why is that? Because that's why we're here. And when we do that, we combat the enemy. In Owen Park yesterday, we had three hours of praise in the atmosphere. Three hours of praise in the atmosphere testimonies and praise in the atmosphere it counters the enemy when we come here Satan's allergic to praise you start praising God they, they, they get out of here they don't want to have anything to do with that so this is this is not just a song service it's about praising the God it's spiritual warfare as well we'll talk more about this also and you can do that personally too not just corporate you're at home you're dealing with something Just start praising God. Start praising God. Sing songs of praise. Just praise God for who he is. Just praise, praise, praise. And you'll be shocked at how quickly the enemy has to flee. He can't can't stay around. Praise God. Make it loud. Make sure to do it. Make sure he can hear you. But praise God. Weapons. Then we get to the letter H, armor of God. We're going to take a lot of time on this later on in our series. But you can read it, Ephesians 6 10 to 18, the weapons of our warfare, a lot of things. There, there is so much ahead. I'm, I'm really excited about covering this. This is kind of an overview of be aware, not alarmed, just kind of setting some, some things in place so that as we go on into this series, it'll you know, begin to make sense. We will expand on. Various aspects of this battle as we go. What does God allow Satan to do? What are the indications of satanic activity? And what are our weapons of warfare? Next Sunday, we're going to expand on spiritual warfare. And we're going to talk about the three battlegrounds. The three battlegrounds. So, I hope you're as excited as I am. I don't, you, you guys look a little sleepy. I don't know. We'll see. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us the real picture of what's going on in this world. And I just pray, God, that as we worship you and we praise you, and as we study what your word says about how we fight these battles, we know that it's got to start in the church because the battle's in the spiritual realm. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you, God, would teach us and equip us and envision us so that we can we can win in the battles that we experience. Father, I pray that those that are on severe, severe temptation or severe attack right now, that you would speak to them, that they'd be able to integrate what we're learning here today, and that you would give them victory. You would continue to show yourself faithful in every way. And we thank you. In Jesus' name.